Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Hey, welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. I'm excited for this episode, Eleni. You've done a lot of good research. Hey, yeah, me too. I'm excited. So this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast is all about vitamin D. All right, the sunshine episode. The sunshine vitamin. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's funny. I was trying to think of what to call this episode as I was preparing for it. And I think we'll go for something along the lines of like the mind blowing effects of vitamin D or something. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yes. Something that it's really hard to grasp the magnitude of the vitamin. Yes. Right. Big one. Mind blowing. Yes. Okay. So, um, today we're going to talk about the most common Number one, most common nutritional deficiency in the world and the number one most important nutrient in the world to supplement, which coincidentally are the same vitamin. Bum, bum, vitamin D. Um, <laughs> well, hey, so it's sort of like if there's one, if you go to the vitamin store, just pick, you know, you only have enough money for one thing. Vitamin D. Grab the vitamin D. This is good. This is where you can start supplementers. That's right. Yeah. 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 If you're going to supplement any single nutrient, you know, outside of something like a multivitamin, vitamin D is the number one thing I always recommend that people have if they literally could only pick one thing. Yep. We were out because it's the summertime and I knew we were going to do this podcast. So I quickly went and bought another thing of vitamin D <laughs> in my stash. But in the summer, I don't use it as much, right? So, yeah. so that's my excuse why it ran out. Yeah, which we'll get we'll get into all of that. So a little bit of research and background. You know, I have to talk nerdy yep. about vitamin nerdy, D. Nerdy. Um, so research has shown that having adequate vitamin D levels, which by adequate, I mean above 40 nanograms per mil. So that's okay. the blood level of vitamin D is greater than 40 nanograms per mil. The only way you can know if you have that level is to test. Okay. So research has shown that having adequate vitamin D levels above 40 nanograms per mil can reduce the risk of hypertension, heart disease, cardiac arrest, cancer, Alzheimer's, insomnia, depression, and other mood disorders, asthma, um, dysmenorrhea or period pain and menstrual disorders, miscarriage, infertility, preterm birth, osteoporosis, thyroid disorders, autoimmune disorders, type 2 diabetes, viral infection, seasonal colds and flus, severe outcomes from COVID-19, because we have to talk about COVID-19, apparently, and severe outcomes from all diseases in general, and if that's not enough, all-cause mortality. (laughs) Oh, I'm rushing home right now to take my vitamin D. Okay. Yes. Doozy of a list. <laughs> that's right. I know. And that's not even all of them. I really could have pro- probably put another hundred or so items on there if we wanted to get specific about the like autoimmune conditions or the types of cancer. Um, yeah. But we'll get into yeah. that in a little bit more detail. But yes, that's actually an abbreviated list of things that can, that you are at an increased risk of having if you have inadequate vitamin D levels below um, 40 nanograms per mil, which most of the population does. Um, so welcome to another episode of why the hell haven't we heard about this before? (laughs) 
<laughs> Seriously, come on, media. Wow. Yeah. So if you aren't familiar with vitamin D, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin, okay. meaning that it is absorbed and stored in our fat. Mm-hmm. It was discovered through a course of experiments fairly recently, um, carried out between 1908 to 1930. And it is uh, commonly called the sunshine vitamin. Yes. As Kay alluded to mm, earlier here. Yes. Yes. Um, due to the fact that sunshine on our skin elicits, elicits the manufacturing of vitamin D in our bodies. Um, I love that. So vitamin D is produced by the skin, liver, and kidneys in response to UVB rays from sunshine exposure, which if you go back and listen to our last podcast episode, which was the eight surprising tips to uplevel your health, we talked about sunscreen Mm -hmm. and how sunscreen blocks UVB rays. And so wearing sunscreen prevents our body from absorbing the UVB rays and being able to produce vitamin D. So it's all connected. That is one of wow. the problems with just slathering ourselves in sunscreen, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about. But um, if you go back and listen to that episode, you can hear all of our views on sunscreen and how to do it responsibly. Yes. Sunscreen um, responsibly. So when UVB rays from the sun hit our skin, a form of cholesterol that's residing in the skin called 7-dehydrocholesterol, for those of you who wanted to know. I didn't name that. (laughs) (laughs) Produces the precursor to vitamin D with the help of the energy from the UVB rays. Um, And then this precursor to vitamin D is transported to our liver where it picks up oxygen and hydrogen and becomes 25-OHD, which is the form of vitamin D that we measure in blood tests. So that's why that's someone got in there and learned all that. Yeah. So when your doctor is testing your blood levels of vitamin D, they're looking for the 25 OHD form, which is actually not the active form. Mm. Um, This form of vitamin D is still inactive until it travels to the kidney and picks up more oxygens and becomes 125 OH2D, which is known as calcitriol. So that is the active form of vitamin D. So Y'all now need you to know. remember all of that. Yeah, there will be a quiz. <laughs> There'll be a quiz at the end. <laughs> like 2400 GQT. Well, that's what we're testing. <laughs> Anybody listening to this podcast who answers the question wrong gets shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you get it right, subscribe to our channel. <laughs> so vitamin D is more accurately called a pro-hormone than a vitamin. Um, okay. Due to its properties as a signaling molecule and its regulation of almost every process in your body. And because our body converts it to a hormone. So that active form of vitamin D that's released by our kidneys that we call calcitriol is actually a hormone. And it acts locally within the cells that it's released from. And it also can have entire endocrine functions where it travels across your whole body and exerts effects system wide. Um, So vitamin D... um, in the form of that calcitriol helps regulate our calcium levels within our body and directly impacts our immune system function, endocrine function, cardiovascular function, reproduction, reproductive function, et cetera. Um, and in fact, it's really hard to say what all vitamin D does within our bodies because literally every cell, every cell in our body has vitamin D receptors. Wow. So every cell in your body is impacted in some way by vitamin D. So that makes me think how we're all like, we're really like houseplants, right? Like if you want your houseplant to survive or thrive, 
it honestly you go water it right and then how much sunshine it gets like we're kind of just very cool house plants we are like cool yeah. house plants yes. and we're probably composed as much of water as a house plant is so yes so drink your water too <laughs> drink right? your water um yeah absolutely so um with vitamin d without vitamin d without adequate vitamin d how it maintains our calcium levels and helps with the absorption if we don't have enough vitamin D in our bodies, we only absorb 10% of dietary or supplemental calcium. Ooh. So with adequate vitamin D, we absorb closer to 40% of our dietary or supplemental calcium, um, which as a side note, I, it just made me wonder how many people are told by their doctors when they get that diagnosis of osteopenia or osteoporosis, how many people are told by their doctors to increase vitamin D? Ah, like there's no connection there. As opposed to the thing yeah. I hear the most is increase your calcium, increase your calcium, but actually increasing your calcium without increasing vitamin D and vitamin K, which I'll talk oh. about in a little bit, is basically worthless. You can increase your calcium, but you're still only absorbing 10% of it. And without the vitamin D and the vitamin K, that calcium can end up deposited in your soft tissues and in your arteries, which is how plaques are formed. And atherosclerosis happens, which is worse than being deficient in calcium. So, okay. Another point for vitamin D. Yep. Vitamin D. So for anybody who's gotten the diagnosis of osteopenia or osteoporosis, I'm not a doctor, I'm not making a prescription, but you should consider having your vitamin D levels tested and making sure that you're supplementing to at least get a blood level of 40 nanograms per mil and that should help your body absorb the calcium better from your food. And then you shouldn't have to supplement with more calcium because you'll be absorbing more calcium Mm -hmm. from what you're already taking. I love it. Um, So it's estimated that at a minimum, and I really think this is a huge underestimate, but at a minimum, 1 billion people worldwide are deficient in vitamin D. Um, I would argue that that number is much, much higher, especially in climates that get cold during the winter season. And this is because to produce adequate vitamin D from sunlight exposure, we need complete exposure to sunshine. And I mean, like complete exposure to sunshine. We support nudity here (laughs) on the Red King Nutrition Podcast. (laughs) The nudist colony's got it right. (laughs) So complete, no sunscreen, no clothes, nothing, full skin, skin, complete exposure to sunshine for a minimum of 15 minutes per day, every day. Oh, and do that. Yeah. In the winter, it's a little harder in the winter. (laughs) Well, and then the winter you actually can't because the sun has to be positioned in the sky so that your, your shadow is shorter than you. So it has to be at the right time of day. The sun has to be at the exact right position in the day in order for your body to produce adequate vitamin D. I did not know that. Yep. And the UV index has to be above three that day. This is so interesting because I've always heard like, don't go out in the middle of the day. That's when it's the worst, but that's when you need it for the vitamin D. Mm -hmm. That's when you need to be going out nude. Yes. yes. (laughs) Lunch break, nude lunch break. Let's go. (laughs) That is fascinating. Yes. So actually in, for example, in Iowa, where we live, um, June through August is when the UV index reaches its peak, which is, it hits like six, a UV index of six on average in the late afternoon or the late morning through early afternoon. So 
that's two months, basically, well, June, July, August, three months out of the year that UV index is at its peak at a six, Mm -hmm. October, November, December, January, February, and most of March, the UV index is actually not high enough um, for us to have the like adequate sunshine exposure and UVB exposure to produce vitamin D. So even if you're out in the sunshine, any of those months, you're not producing vitamin D. I feel that. I feel that hard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Which is part of that seasonal affective disorder, which we'll talk about when we get into the mood section of it. Mm -hmm. um, So that means that we only have the opportunity for adequate sunshine exposure from April to September. And then remember that you have to be out at the right time of the day and you have to be completely new. Okay. okay for 15 minutes um, which isn't it. that long 15 minutes is not long go out and meditate yes, <laughs> sit in yes, the grass yes. I'll walk my dog at noon naked okay we got this <laughs> um and for more northern areas that window is even shorter so for example mm-hmm. shout out to our listeners in Canada mm-hmm. um according to statistics Canada over 93% of Canadians are deficient in vitamin D with vitamin D levels below 40 nanograms per mil, which is the lowest end of the range for the protective effects of vitamin D. So other states and areas that have even less sunshine exposure than we do are at an even increased risk. So ultimately, like, yes, there are people in the Southern hemisphere with a much higher year-round UV index than we have who also wear a lot less clothing than we do in the United States. And yes, these individuals are less likely to have vitamin D deficiency. Um, But for the majority of us, we must, must, must supplement with vitamin D because you're simply not going to get what you need year-round from sunshine. Okay. Okay. Um, And yes, there is vitamin D in some foods. And I think that we have underestimated how much vitamin D is in foods. Um, And so I I believe there's actually more vitamin D content in certain foods than we know. Um, And those foods include eggs, oily fish, cod cod liver oil or fish liver, and mushrooms. Um, But for the most part, we could not possibly get what we need from food. Okay. Unless you were consuming large amounts of these foods every single day. Okay. Most people. Yeah. Which not. in nature, God's like, get outside, get some sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be nude and hunt your food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how vitamin D affects our health. I gave a whole list of health conditions that are at increased risk when we have inadequate vitamin D. And I'm not going to go into all of those health conditions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go into some of the major, most common ones that people experience. And certainly we could do a podcast episode on any one of those health issues in general and talk about all of the vitamin and nutrient and, and, and dietary and lifestyle changes that could help improve your odds um, of overcoming those diseases or preventing those diseases. So certainly we can get into more detail, but for the sake of this episode, I'm only going to touch on a few of the top ones. Yep. Um, So cancer, we'll we'll start with cancer. Vitamin D has known anti-cancer effects and much research has been published over the last several decades that shows a link between vitamin D levels and cancer risk. So depending on the type of cancer, vitamin D alone can potentially reduce the risk of cancer by about 25% to 80%. Really? Yep. Now, oh, I just had a really quick question. Yeah. Can we store our summer vitamins? Like, let's say I'm out all summer, 
nudie pants all summer. Can I store extra vitamin to get me through the months? So with the fat soluble okay. vitamins, like yeah. vitamins A, D, E, and K, we store them. We do store them. Okay. Um, okay. And, and as opposed to like a yeah. water soluble vitamin, like the B complex vitamins or vitamin yeah. C, yep. which we eliminate in our urine and don't tend to store long-term. Yes. Yep. We do store long-term the fat soluble vitamins. But if you think about the fact that every cell in your body has a vitamin D receptor and needs mm. vitamin D, yep. you probably go through those stores a lot faster okay. Okay. than you would think. Okay. So yes, you do store it, but I, I don't think you could store enough to say, get, to get through the through winter. That, that, that nine months of low. Yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. Not like a bear, like storing enough fat to yeah. hibernate through the winter. Like, I don't think vitamin D quite works in that okay. extent because okay. we need Just it for everything. <laughs> um. So vitamin D can inhibit cancer cell growth and proliferation because it inhibits the proteins and signals that are needed for cancer cells to divide and spread. And it also decreases their signals that allow the cancer cells to move through tissue and bind to other cells. Mm. So in this way, it reduces the cancer metastasizing, and it also stimulates the maturation of healthy cells, um, which, which increases like Basically, in order to overcome cancer, you need healthy cells to mature and grow as opposed to unhealthy cells. And vitamin D can help with the maturation of those healthy cells. Mm -hmm. It also induces the death of cancer cells, which we call um, apoptosis or programmed cell death. So apoptosis basically is when a cell becomes old and senescism becomes this kind of like raggedy elderly cell yeah. the body has the ability to recognize okay this cell is losing its cellular function it's not performing the way it used to and it actually initiates a sequence of events that lead to a programmed cell death in okay. order to remove that cell and replace it with a healthy new cell so that you're not constantly losing the function of your cells if you didn't yeah. have apoptosis you would die pretty quickly because none of your cells would turn over and they would just gradually decline in function until none of your cells were functioning. So smart body. Yeah. So apoptosis is a good thing. And vitamin D helps induce that process. When we have certain cells that stop engaging in apoptosis or programmed cell death, mm -hmm. those are what can become cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So they are unhealthy cells that are not functioning the way they're meant to. And then they continue to replicate and divide and produce new unhealthy cells instead of healthy cells. Um, so vitamin D can activate the process of breaking the cells down into small packets that are then disposed of by our immune system, Okay, which is what's supposed to happen, but yep. doesn't happen if you don't have adequate vitamin D. Mm -hmm. um, vitamin D also prevents blood vessel growth in tumors, which is what we call angiogenesis. There's a lot of really valuable research done by Dr. William Lee on angiogenesis and how tumor cells have basically they create their own blood supply okay. in order to feed themselves and they divert nutrients away from other cells by creating their own blood vessel system and diverting nutrients oh. from your body into the cancer cells and vitamin D can prevent tumor cells from being able to do that. You know, my mom actually has a tumor that she gets removed from her abdomen area every like, I don't know, three to five years. Like she said it four times. Anyway, I am going to send her a bottle of vitamin D. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Who knew? I didn't know. Yeah. Cause angiogenesis is the process cancer cells use to basically boost their nutrient intake and survive. 
So if you look up Dr. William Lee's research, he has a, a whole lot of foods that help promote healthy angiogenesis and prevent cancer cell angiogenesis, which oh. is a really interesting, there's, there's a bunch of really valuable research he's done, but okay. vitamin D is one of the things that helps promote healthy and not unhealthy yeah. angiogenesis. And it can only help. There are no negative side effects. You know what I mean? Like, right. Which we'll, I know we'll get more into that, but like, yeah, it can only help. Yeah, like, exactly. No risk. Exactly. Zero. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, and then vitamin D also prevents the inflammation that's associated with cancer. So it inhibits the pro-inflammatory factors and increases anti-inflammatory signals. Um, yeah. And so overall reduces the risk of incidence and or death due to cancer. Wow. So that's a high level. So some of the cancers associated specifically with low vitamin D that they've shown through research are associated with low vitamin D. And I would argue probably 98% of cancers are associated in some way with low vitamin D, Wow. but this, these are the ones that research has shown are associated with it. That includes colorectal cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, lung cancer, lymphomas, ovarian cancer, liver cancer, and bladder cancer. So the evidence associating vitamin D and cancer is so strong that vitamin D is now thought to be a causal factor in the risk reduction of most types of cancers. Um, So there have been multiple publications that have confirmed that vitamin D does in fact reduce the risk of at least those cancers that I listed in that wow. Wow. <laughs> inclusion and, and probably most cancers, they just haven't all been researched yet. Wow. Yep. So that's, that's awesome. That's vitamin D and cancer high level overview. I am like in my mind texting so many people, Hey, get some vitamin D. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so moving on to osteoporosis, which I'll talk about in brief, but Um, The actions of vitamin D are to promote calcium homeostasis and to promote bone health. So when I say homeostasis, that's our body's process of maintaining like basically equilibrium. Mm -hmm. So maintaining healthy levels of calcium where they're not too high, not too low. You need vitamin D in order to do that and to promote bone health. And vitamin D also enhances the absorption of calcium, like we talked about in the small intestine and stimulates the osteoclast and osteoblast differentiation. Those are your bone um, breaking down and bone building up cells that help you need. You actually need, in order to have strong bones, you need cells to break your bones down in order to rebuild them stronger. So some amount of bone breaking down is necessary to build your bones back stronger. If you don't have that breaking down process, your bones can become really brittle and porous. Um, so you need vitamin D for that cell differentiation and for the calcium reabsorption of bone. Um, and additionally, vitamin D promotes mineralization of the collagen matrix in our bone, um, which basically in layman's terms means vitamin D plays an essential role in the buildup and strengthening of bone and supplementing with calcium, like we talked about, and not vitamin D is not an effective measure. So there you go. I'm glad you know all this. This is so much to wade through as a lay person. How would I know any of this? So this yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it is, you know, again, it's frustrating not to get into the weeds, but how much the dairy industry has distorted our view of 
like you have to have dairy for bone health because dairy is high in calcium. And I'm not anti-dairy, especially good raw forms of dairy. Mm -hmm. However, dairy is not appropriate for a lot of people who have sensitivities to it and for whom it causes inflammation. Yes, yes. And so the (laughs) Yeah. So the message of you need dairy because you need calcium is totally erroneous. Mm -hmm. You need vitamin D. And if you consume vitamin D in adequate levels and supplement adequately and get sunshine exposure, you will get the calcium you need from all of your food. And some of the foods that are the highest in calcium is not dairy, but it's things like sesame seeds and oily fish yeah. with the bones in them, which are really high in calcium and magnesium. Yeah. Um, and some leafy greens. Maybe. Leafy greens are yeah. high in calcium. And again, just supplement with vitamin D and you'll get what you need from those foods. Yeah. So yep. if you I'll can't tolerate, exactly. Yep. Yes. Yes. And I won't get into that here, but <laughs> it is a heavily subsidized industry. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why it's what you hear about when you hear about bone health. There's a reason why all the ads are geared towards, oh, just get your adequate dairy, eat this cheese, drink this milk. Mm-hmm. You'll have healthy bones. That's actually not true or scientifically proven. <laughs> Okay. But paid for. <laughs> but yep. paid for. Bye. <laughs> All right. So um, heart disease with vitamin D and heart disease, we'll get into that. So vitamin D is an important regulator of our blood pressure through the influence on the re- renin angiotensin aldosterone system. So renin being kidney angiotensin is yep. a hormone that like dilates our blood vessels. So it's basically the system that allows us to, um, regulate our blood pressure and vitamin D has a direct effect on it as it's a regulator of that system. And it also has protective effect against oxidative damage and atherosclerosis, which is, and it's important for our smooth muscle function, which again, that's our vascular functions are all smooth muscles. Um, And the oxidative damage, when we talk about atherosclerosis, oxidative damage is one of the things that contributes to that inflammation and then the Mm. potential blockage in our arteries and cardiac arrest. So vitamin D can protect against that. Um, Studies have shown that low vitamin D levels are a risk factor for high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. And in specific, one study looked at the association between vitamin D level and risk of being diagnosed with high blood pressure among participants aged 50 and older. Mm. And the incident rate among those with vitamin D levels of 50 nanograms per mil or higher was 51% lower than the rate among those with vitamin D levels less than 40 nanograms per milliliter. So Mm. if you had vitamin D levels above 50 nanograms per mil, you had a more than a 50% reduction in the risk of cardiovascular disease. Wow. Yeah, which is I significant. Have, I have a new title for this. Is this vitamin D the superhero of the vitamins? This is good. <laughs> I, like I have like oh, vitamin D. I, I'm gonna take it much more seriously than I have. Yes. Ever yeah, exactly. Um, and one particular study confirmed that vitamin D's relationship specifically to our systolic blood pressure, um, where vitamin the higher vitamin D was, the lower your blood pressure was. Right. Um, and it showed in addition to vitamin D, it showed that the relationship was strongest among those who also got more magnesium compared to those who were getting less, which means the combination of higher vitamin D and higher magnesium intake has an even stronger effect on lowering blood pressure than either of those things alone. So vitamin D and magnesium, which by the way, like 
And when you think about how effective vitamin D is at reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, so a higher vitamin D level, higher than 50, was associated with a more than 50% reduction in the risk of developing heart disease. When you take blood pressure medications, they reduce your risk of heart disease by like two or 3%. Mm. Oh, so they maintain your blood pressure, which is important. I'm not saying don't take them, but you should know that the message that, oh, you need cholesterol lowering medications, you need blood pressure lowering medications. Cholesterol medications don't really significantly reduce your risk of heart disease. Like there hasn't really been much evidence to support that. So vitamin D can reduce your risk of heart disease by 50%. Those medications can reduce it by like maybe 5% max. Wow. Okay. Vitamin D is a whole lot cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And has way fewer side effects. Like, again, I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not telling you to go and quit your medications without talking to your doctor, but consider that there are alternatives and those medications can get you from A to B, but they're not actually that protective in the long term. So if you're having issues with hypertension or high blood cholesterol, the lifestyle and dietary changes are what's going to get at the root of that. Otherwise you're just masking the symptom that your body is telling you, Hey, like something's not going right. And it's giving you signals that it's not going right. And you're just masking those signals and pretending everything's fine, but you haven't actually resolved the issue. So true. True. And that's true. Don't just stop all your medication today. Take vitamin D. Stop that. Go to your doctor, do a transition, talk to them, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, find a certified functional dietitian or a nutritionist who can help you make the important lifestyle changes. And vitamin D should be a part of that Mm -hmm. regimen. So anyway, okay, moving on to our immune system function. So a general overview of how vitamin D affects our immune system, um, which is funny, before we ever knew about vitamin D, vitamin D was used kind of unknowingly to treat infections such as tuberculosis before we came up with effective antibiotics for that. So tuberculosis patients were sent to sanatoriums what they called them sanatoriums where treatment included exposure to sunlight, which was thought to directly kill the tuberculosis. Um, and they also were given cod liver oil, which is a very rich source of vitamin D. Um, and they, and then they had like increased protection from infections in general. So at that time they didn't know why those things were working, but now we know it's because of the vitamin D. Gosh. Okay. And I wonder how they knew if it was just like, kind of like ancient wisdom that somebody's grandma was like, give them cod liver oil, put them in the sunshine right, or, or, or they just saw that, oh, this worked and they didn't. That's really interesting. Or I mean, before, I mean, without doing any clinical research, you can study populations of people. So you can see, oh, yeah. people who get a lot of sunshine cultures that spend a lot of time in the sunshine, gosh, they don't really get tuberculosis like we do. Ah, oh, and this yep. culture that consumes a lot of yep. cod liver oil, yep. oh, they have like next to zero rates of tuberculosis. So I feel like that's kind of ah, how they could. the high level way ah. of studying the effect of anything. And of course, you, yep. you're always bringing in multi- like a multifactorial conversation because their diets are also different. Their lifestyles are different. The the, like times they're awake and asleep are different. So there's a lot of reasons for it, but that's generally a high level way to kind of examine the effects of things before you had the ability to 
put things down in a petri dish and study yeah. it in a vacuum. Yeah, smart. <laughs> in a sanitarium. Um, yeah, so there are on all of our immune cells, especially our B cells, T cells, and our antigen presenting cells, which are all an important part of our immune system. All of those cells have vitamin D um, receptors. And the immunological cells are capable of synthesizing actually vitamin D themselves, um, which tells you how important it is that those cells can produce the vitamin D that they need if they need it. Um, vitamin D has the capability of acting as a cell signaling molecule in a local immunologic like matter. So by that, I mean um, locally, if you have like inflammation or an injury, your, your body can release vitamin D within that area, and then it can act to help reduce infection and inflammation within that area. Okay. Um, body. yeah, again, and it, it modulates the innate and adaptive immune responses. So our immune system has several components into it, which I won't get into, but has an innate component and an adaptive immune component. So vitamin D plays a role in both of those components of the immune system, which are both essential for short, short-term and long-term um, control of disease. Um, additionally, macrophages, which are one type of immune cell, um, have a basically like a something called a toll-like receptor. And I'll stay very high level on this because I know it gets nerdy. But um, our macrophages are what recognize bacterial infections and then break down the bacteria or the viruses and eat them and break them down into their components so our bodies can eliminate them. So you need macrophages because otherwise the virus cells or the bacteria cells would get into your body and they would just float around. But macrophages are basically like Pac-Mans that chase those viruses around and okay. chomp them down into little bits so that they can't hurt you. So macrophages um, have, well, that's going to get really nerdy. I'll just say that. <laughs> that Pac-Man was good. That Pac-Man. Was good. I'll leave it at Pac-Man. Yeah. Pac-Man needs vitamin D in order to function. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh, I started looking at them like, God, that gets way too detailed. I'll leave it at that. Macrophages are like Pac-Man. They eat viruses, they eat bacteria. And if they don't have vitamin D, they don't do that job well. Okay, we need vitamin D. Yep. So vitamin D plays an important response, like part in this innate antimicrobial response within our body. <laughs> hey there, renegades. Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love. And that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15, at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's Renegade, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. So deficiency in vitamin D is associated with increased autoimmune autoimmunity, as well as increased susceptibility to infection. And there is ever-growing epidemiological studies that link vitamin D deficiency and autoimmune diseases, including multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes mellitus, 
and inflammatory bowel disease and lupus. So if you haven't listened to our episode on multiple sclerosis with Matthew Embry or our episode on autoimmune disease with Julia Buchkina, both really important episodes, vitamin D is such an important piece of the multiple sclerosis puzzle. I know Matthew Embry focused on that a lot within his documentary and within um, the information that he publishes and disseminates through his his website. Um, so anyway, vitamin D is a huge piece of that and make sure you go back and listen to those episodes on multiple sclerosis and autoimmune disease for a more in-depth dive on specifically those topics and all of the nutrients that can influence them. But vitamin D for sure, deficiency of vitamin D is linked to the development of those autoimmune conditions. Um, And actually reports of low serum vitamin D has predicted the development of autoimmune disease. Um, And we've seen it for multiple sclerosis, diabetes, mellitus, and rheumatoid arthritis. So they've actually done studies where they have shown following people over time that those who have low vitamin D status develop those autoimmune conditions. I hope they then gave those people more vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ending of the study. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> I hope so. Good. Yeah. Um, and there's also data that links in utero exposure to vitamin D. So the vitamin D levels that you received when you were growing in your mother's womb mm-hmm. and the development of autoimmune disease. So infants and fetuses that aren't receiving adequate vitamin D from their mothers while in utero are more likely to develop an autoimmune disease later. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's so important. Wow. Yeah. So definitely increasing your vitamin D intake when you're pregnant can help improve. I'll get into that topic specifically, but it can help improve your child's chance of not developing an autoimmune disease when they grow up, which are increasing rapidly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then let's see here. Vitamin D has been shown to halt progression of existing autoimmune disease also. So if you have an autoimmune disease, it's not too late to start taking vitamin D. Mm -hmm. In one study, 161 patients with an early undifferentiated connective tissue disorder, meaning they had some sort of connective tissue disorder, but it wasn't differentiated into something like lupus or multiple sclerosis. They weren't quite sure yet, but they were just developing it. Um, They were followed for over two years. And those who had adequate vitamin D levels did not progress and they remained in an undifferentiated state, meaning they didn't develop the autoimmune condition if they had adequate vitamin D. Everyone take vitamin D, give it to your babies, right? Kids. I'm not sure you can give it to babies. That's not medical advice. I, I don't know. You can. You can, yes, (laughs) (laughs) but but babies who are breastfeeding should get what they need from your breast milk. And if they're not, then yes, you do need to supplement um, if they're formula fed. So yes, in, in individuals who they followed for over two years, those who had adequate vitamin D were much less likely to develop the full-blown autoimmune condition than those who did not. Um, and all baseline characteristics of the two groups were similar otherwise. So vitamin D was the main factor. Mm -hmm. And while we're in the immunity section, I'll touch on COVID-19 since it's still a hot topic for a lot of people today. Um, so vitamin D deficiency limits our immune system performance and increases the spread of disease, reducing protection against infection and reduces effectiveness of vaccination 
and is a main cause of severe COVID-19 illness. Okay. A review by Petrelli et al. included 43 studies with the data from a total of 612,601 COVID-19 patients that had been published from the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic through January 31st, 2021. And they found that COVID-19 disease risk, severity, and mortality they assessed those factors within those that very large population, yeah. and they found um, that with those who had inadequate vitamin D levels, risk of COVID-19 infection was 50% higher. Wow. And risk of severe COVID-19 defined as the need for intensive care and m- mechanical ventilation was 160% higher among those with vitamin D levels below 20 nanograms per mil. Risk of death due to COVID-19 was 22% higher among those who had low vitamin D levels. And vitamin D supplementation of various doses reduced the risk of severe COVID-19 disease by 73% and death by 59%. Okay. Everyone get all your vitamin D. Okay. So in January, January of 2021, we knew by that point that vitamin D supplementation could reduce the risk of severe effects from COVID-19 by 73% and death by 59%. And how many of you receive vitamin D flyers in Uh the mail? Hmm? I know. I know. Like, I wish there was a pull. Yes. Some Yes. Like take your vitamin D to help. And yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where was that? I did know. you hear that information? Maybe you did. I hope you did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't see that information being widely disseminated. Yeah. I did hear people being told to stay inside their homes, not hug, wash their hands, wear a mask, yeah. which is funny because that doesn't reduce the severity of COVID-19 or reduce your risk of death. Yeah. But vitamin D supplementation could reduce yeah. your risk by almost 60%. Yeah. Hmm. Take your vitamin D, take your vitamin D. It's almost like yeah. those disseminating the information didn't care if you had severe COVID <laughs> or died. Wow. It's almost like that. Strange. Yep. yep. Anyway, yep. another study um, that looked at, that was like a study looking at eight different studies looking for a potential optimal vitamin D level to minimize COVID-19 mortality. So they were looking across different studies and they're saying, okay, can we find what the optimal level of vitamin D is? to reduce your COVID-19 mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, it showed that as vitamin D levels increased, COVID-19 mortality decreased to the okay. point where projected mortality rate reached zero at a vitamin D level of around 50 nanograms per mil. Oh, wow. I know if we just pump all of America and all the world with vitamin D, we can help. Yeah. Help. So again, help it all. that's projected mortality rate. So it doesn't mean that was actually what was achieved, but they showed that yeah. due to the like association, yes. <laughs> the linear association between vitamin D intake and COVID-19 mortality, they could project that mortality rate reached zero. So zero people dying from COVID-19 if they had vitamin D levels around 50 nanograms per mil. Now, of course, there are a lot of factors that go into a person's health that affects their susceptibility to diseases. So we're not saying vitamin D is the only one, but obviously a great help. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then interestingly, um, 
obesity may impair vitamin D absorption and effect. So we knew during the COVID-19 pandemic that obesity was associated with yes. increased mortality from COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Um, obesity is a known risk factor for the severity and death of the COVID-19 and the more fat a person has on their body, so the higher their BMI, the more likely they are to have vitamin D deficiency and their need for vitamin D increases. So in other words, obesity is a significant risk factor for vitamin D deficiency. So the metabolic needs of somebody who has more fat for vitamin D is higher. Fat soluble, mm -hmm. so it needs more mass. Interesting. Yeah. So the connection is there. So again, some people may need more vitamin D than others. So there's no one perfect one size fits all, but I thought that was a really interesting point since we knew the role that obesity played yeah. in outcomes from COVID-19. Yeah. When we talk about cognitive health and mood, moving on, because there are other things you can die from <laughs> in the world or that can decrease your quality of life. So when we talk about cognitive health and mood and vitamin D, vitamin D plays an essential role in the health of our brain and nervous system. And it's been shown to have beneficial effects on depression, stress, anxiety, and sleep. Mm. Um, vitamin D has improved self-perceived measurements of mental and emotional wellness and improvements have been positively associated with higher vitamin D levels. So basically in those who are surveyed, the higher their vitamin D levels are, the happier they report being and the lower rates of depression. In combination with omega-3s, vitamin D can contribute especially um, significantly to improvements in depression, anxiety, stress, and sleep scores. One study showed that those supplementing with both vitamin D and omega-3s experienced the greatest improvements um, in their anxiety, depression, stress, and sleep scores at the end of a study compared to all other groups, which means supplementing with both vitamin D and omega-3s has a greater effect on those metrics than either on its own or placebo. Good. I just started my kids on omega-3s and vitamin D. So I was like, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Important combination. Yeah. Um, and several studies have that have been published have linked low vitamin D levels to an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Um, and one study has found a significant association between vitamin D deficiency and faster cognitive decline, as well as a threefold increase in the risk of Alzheimer's disease, which is suggestive that vitamin D has protective effects above 40 nanograms per mil for brain health and a decreased risk of Alzheimer's disease over time. So Okay. Why not? <laughs> Golly. Just art. I was just thinking like, I'm good in the summer. And now for the winter, I'm like, hey, you've got to keep your vitamin D. Um, what about that infrared sauna with 55% of the rays being from the sun? Do you know if that can increase your vitamin D? Do you know? I don't know. Just a side note. I'll yeah. Google that later. We'll okay. have to look it up. We'll, yeah. we'll yeah. see. But yeah. it would have to produce the UVB rays, which I just don't know. I don't know offhand if it does. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know it has the infrared. Does the UVB, but, is that what gives your skin the tan or no? Or is that the A? Um, I think that that's the A. Oh, okay. 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 Although okay. I can't say for sure. Okay. Well, we will Google all of this. For <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of fertility and vitamin D, um, and I think that this is becoming more and more an important topic because rates of infertility are increasing drastically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Vitamin D levels in the range of 40 to 60 nanograms per mil 
have been shown to reduce complications, including preterm birth, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, so like preeclampsia, and gestational diabetes. And a study found that vitamin D levels was an independent predictor of reproductive success rates in women who have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a common cause of infertility. So um, a study found that if a woman had PCOS and she had a higher level of vitamin D, she was more likely to get pregnant um, and have a successful ovulation and live birth increasing as vitamin D levels increased. So live births were 44% lower among women whose vitamin D levels were below 30 nanograms per mil and fourfold higher among women with vitamin D levels of at least 45 nanograms per mil. And the ratio of live births increased by 2% for every one nanogram per mil increase in vitamin D levels. Wow. So really important for not only getting pregnant, but staying pregnant and having a successful full-term pregnancy. Wow. Um, additionally, studies in men have shown a correlation between vitamin D sufficiency and improved sperm count, motility, and increased fertility overall with um, a positive association between vitamin D levels and testosterone levels among older men. Hmm. And vitamin- miracle vitamin. Yes, it is. Vitamin D is necessary for all stages of the life cycle and especially for pregnancy. So numerous studies have found that higher vitamin D levels during pregnancy reduce the risk of all adverse maternal and infant outcomes. Um, So again, it's important for- conceiving, mm-hmm. implantation of the egg and development of the placenta. And it helps ensure that your baby stays healthy throughout the pregnancy and is born healthy. Mm-hmm. And then as we learned earlier, reduces their risk later in life for many diseases, That's including it. autoimmune disease. Wow. So one other study showed that compared to women whose vitamin D levels were sufficient at the beginning of pregnancy, women who were vitamin D deficient had a 94% significantly increased risk of miscarriage. So vitamin D is important. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really have a list going in my head of everyone. I'm like, okay, hey, you need to start taking vitamin D check. You know, all yeah. these, like I didn't, re- gosh. And for those who struggle with PCOS, vitamin D deficiency is a factor in 67 to 85% of PCOS cases. So supplementing and making sure that you have adequate vitamin D can make a huge difference in your ovulation successfully happening and in the length and normality of your cycles um, and in your ability to conceive. So now that we know all of that, (laughs) (laughs) how much should we supplement? Because as we talked about, we do need to supplement even with sunshine exposure because in order again, you can get what you need from the sun. However, you need to meet all of those requirements. So you need to be fully exposed to the sunshine for 15 minutes when, (laughs) when the sun is positioned in the sky so that your shadow is shorter than you. And when the UV index is above three. So how much should we supplement? So first of all, when you're supplementing, you want to make sure that you're supplementing with the D3 form of vitamin D and not the D2 form because the D3 form is the bioavailable usable form. D2 is kind of garbage. Okay. D3. 
Okay. And also make sure that with vitamin D supplementation, you are also supplementing with K2 because vitamin D helps our Not body. K3 to get you confused. K3. <laughs> okay. D3, no. K2. K2, D3, K2. So K2, or sometimes you can get it with K7, which is good. Um, so vitamin D helps our body absorb calcium. Vitamin K2 helps direct that calcium where to go. So it helps calcium go into the bones, into the bone matrix, instead of collecting in our soft tissues and arteries. So you don't want to take only vitamin D and not get adequate K2, which you can get K2 from food a lot more easily than you can get vitamin D from food, um, especially leafy greens and fish and all of those good things have K2 in them. But you need K2 in addition to vitamin D in order for the successful absorption of minerals and then sending those minerals to where they belong in the body. And my vitamin D I get from natural grocers and it says um, D3 um, K2 together in the bottle. So mm-hmm. I only have to take one. Um, yes. Anyway. Yes. I look for a lot of supplements now a day have D3 K2 in combination. Mm-hmm. Um, so the minimum supplementation that's needed to reach those levels that we've talked about of greater than 40 nanograms per mil of vitamin D that amount is different for everybody because like we talked about, there's metabolic factors at play. Your, your fat content and fat levels mm-hmm. play a role in it. Um, it depends on your baseline levels. So where you're currently at with your vitamin D yeah. and then just general individual needs, because somebody who is in a disease state or a chronic state of inflammation is going to use a lot more vitamin D than somebody who is not in an inflamed state and is generally healthy. Um, so it's different for everyone. So I can't just give you a, like, take this much vitamin D and you'll for sure reach 40 nanograms per mil Mm -hmm. because it's different for everybody. So I always recommend that people determine their baseline. So it's a simple blood test, any doctor conventional or functional can order it. Um, there's take-home kits that you can get from Grassroots Health where you can just order one from their website and do a finger prick and send it in and they use it in their research studies too, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, I'm curious um, what mine would be. Oh, I want to do that. Okay. Yeah, it's really important to test, to know what your baseline is and then to supplement and then to retest so that you know oh. how the amount that you're supplementing yeah. is affecting you. Yeah. Um, I generally recommend that people supplement anywhere between 5,000 to 10,000 IU per day, um, depending on their baseline levels. And that number changes depending on where somebody's at. So yeah. somebody's levels are like 20 or 25 nanograms per mil. I'm having them start 10,000 IU per day right away because okay. we want to get that level at a minimum of 40. And really that is the minimum. So it's better to be higher um, as we've seen. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think a lot of the cancer protective effects are seen more in the range of when somebody is 60 to 70 to 80 nanograms per mm-hmm. mil. So that's where we see more of those really drastic protective effects. But, um, but at a minimum 40 nanograms per mil starts being effective. Um, and then I recommend that people test their vitamin D levels annually because it can change over time. If you go through a pregnancy, your body will use more vitamin D. If you are in a disease state, if you have any sort of health conditions, if you are under chronic stress, all of those things, Mm. 
your body might go through vitamin D more quickly. And so just because supplementing with a certain amount has worked before doesn't mean it's always going to be adequate. Mm. So that's why I recommend testing annually okay. to make sure that you are maintaining your levels and that the amount that you're dosing is appropriate. Mm. Um, and here was like an interesting thing about the bio-individually individuality of vitamin D. So like six years ago, six or seven years ago, my husband and I were not at that time supplementing with vitamin D and I hadn't in a while, like yeah, before I started my journey into nutrition (laughs) (laughs) and I had supplemented with vitamin D before. And I was kind of supplementing like really sporadically, just as I thought about it, I would do it not consistently by any means. But we had just gone through the summer together, spent the same amount of time outside together, um, equal amounts of exposure to sunlight. Yeah. Um, And we tested our vitamin D at the end of that season and his levels were 45 nanograms per mil and mine were 29 nanograms per mil. So same amount of sunlight exposure, neither of us supplementing. Hey. eating the same foods because we were married and eating yes. all the same meals together. Yeah. And his levels were considerably higher than mine, um, which we wow. figured is because <clears throat> I'm Italian and I'm a lot darker skinned than he is. He's like a hundred percent, just everything white yeah. <laughs> and freckly. Pale, pale. Yeah. He, he's the pale and freckly sort. Yeah. And I get really, really tan during the summer. Um, and darker skinned individuals are much more susceptible to vitamin D deficiencies, which is because um, melanin, which is the protein in our skin that gives it its color, absorbs UVB rays and reduces the body's ability to produce vitamin D from UVB rays. Really? And melanin levels are much higher in darker skinned individuals, which is one of many reasons why are there are such vast health disparities between light-skinned and darker-skinned individuals because it is much harder for somebody with darker skin to produce adequate vitamin D because the melanin wow. in their skin blocks the absorption wow of the vitamin of the UVB rays okay so it's extra essential if you have darker skin to supplement year round with okay. vitamin D okay. to make sure that you have adequate levels because you may not be getting enough from sunshine. Wow. That so. testing is science is amazing. How is this an expensive test? No, I mean, for a lot of people, their health insurance should cover it. Okay. Our health insurance covered it for a number of years. And okay. then suddenly, mm-hmm. suddenly our health insurance company insurance decided that vitamin D levels were not important to Uh, know or to test and that they didn't have any sort of significant health outcomes. I'm not even kidding. They sent us a letter. Um, I can just see your face reading this letter. (laughs) Oh, right. It reduces your risk of cancer by 80%. It reduces your risk of all cause mortality, but you're right. Who cares? Yep. (laughs) I was like livid. Follow the money. Yep, because we just realized that when people die less, we make less money. So So we're not gonna test. We're not gonna cover vitamin D tests anymore. You guys, I'm not kidding. This stuff is real. I know we all want to believe that everything happens like good and it's good and that people are good and that they all have our best interest in mind. And I just yep, they don't. (laughs) They have their their best interest in mind. So yes, they wrote us a letter and said they wouldn't cover the test anymore. And at that point we paid $90 per person to test it. Okay. Um I I can't remember what it costs to do it through grassroots. I've done it through there as well. I think it was 
I, I honestly can't remember. Okay. I think it was okay. 85 or 90 in that range. Okay. In yep. that range. But yep. if your insurance covers it, like ours did before, it was like, it was like nothing. 20, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah it was yeah. an insignificant amount yeah. of money. I'll have to check if ours does. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. 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 We'll see if your insurance company is as corrupt as ours was. <laughs> I won't name them because I don't want to get taken <laughs> down, but but I would love to name them because <laughs> be by the filter sensor me. They are a major health insurance company. I'll mm-hmm. just leave it at that. <laughs> um, so what about over supplementation? Because we do often hear from our doctors not to over supplement, yeah, not to take, take too much, much or like, Oh, your levels are above a hundred. That's really dangerous. It is actually in fact, not okay. <laughs> There are no human studies that have shown, no human studies that have shown that high vitamin D levels pose any sort of risk to our health. Um, It's unfortunately a pretty blown out of proportion thing um, because vitamin D is the least toxic fat soluble vitamin. So again, the fat soluble vitamins are A, D, E, and K. Vitamin D is the least toxic of all of those. Um, And vitamin D toxicity is one of the rarest medical conditions in the world. Mm. So the concern that I most commonly hear about with over supplementation of vitamin D is hypercalcemia, um, which hypercalcemia is a condition in which the level of calcium in the blood is too high, which can cause kidney stones. Um, and interfere with kidney, heart, and brain function. So obviously hypercalcemia is a serious concern. However, recent research um, published by Patrick J. McCullough in a paper titled Daily Oral Dosing of Vitamin D3 Using 5,000 to 50,000 International Units, that's IU, a day in long-term hospitalized patients. Insights from a seven-year experience. It was not a brief title. That was that whole thing was the title. <laughs> so in that research by um, Patrick J. McCullough, it showed that even with doses as high as 50,000 IU per day, per day, per day hey. hypercalcemia did not occur for up to 12 months, which is when the study ended, not when it did occur. Wow. So even in individuals who were supplementing with 50,000 IU of vitamin D per day for a whole year, for a whole year, they did not develop hypercalcemia. Um, And in fact, blood levels as high as 200 nanograms per mil posed no health concerns in the study participants that reached those levels. Um, And there were five participants, so not a significant number, but five people had levels as high as 200 nanograms per mil with no health consequences. Superheroes now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and the average blood level of vitamin D in that study was 119 nanograms per mil. And again, no health effects. Wow. No, no negative health effects. Obviously there were positive health effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and part of that is because our body really tightly maintains our vitamin D levels within this negative feedback loop. So meaning the higher vitamin D levels get in our body, the more tightly it regulates our levels to prevent um, excessive vitamin D activity and signaling. So even if your vitamin D levels are higher, which you may see in a test with excessive supplementation, it doesn't mean that it's having a greater effect in your body. Your body works to maintain the vitamin D signaling so that even if the levels get higher, the signaling is not increasing. So it shouldn't be affecting your body. Mm -hmm. I mean, keep in mind that 
with the sunshine exposure when we're out in the sun for that 15 minutes per day nude <laughs> when the uv index is above three and the sun yes. is in the sky so our shadow is shorter than our our height yes. um our skin has the ability to make an estimated 10,000 to 25,000 iu of vitamin really? d Isn't that a short amount yeah wow yeah oh so God. if your body would make that much it tells you yeah obviously we were made to have yes and 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 yeah. honestly like our ancestors do you think they were out for 15 minutes a day no <laughs> no they were outside all day all day yeah <laughs> and they were mostly nude so yes if in 15 minutes you can produce 20 up to 25,000 IU of vitamin yeah. D and you're out all day yep yep right 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 what does that tell you about your risk of over yeah. Cons- over supplementing with vitamin D. I don't really think it's a thing. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you should be doing annual tests, checking your vitamin D yep. levels. There's not a significant reason for it to be over a hundred. There's not necessarily improved outcomes if it's over a hundred nanograms per mil. So there's you don't need to be over that. Yeah. So if you see that you are higher than that, you can slow her down. You can, you can yeah. simmer down on the supplementation. Yeah. So I'm not just saying like supplement until you're in the three hundreds. Like there's no reason to do yeah. that. No. If you have higher levels, you can reduce it until your levels reach somewhere between 60 and 80. That's where I like most of my clients to be is between 60 and 80. Um, so certainly yes, back off on the supplementation because you're just wasting your money at that point, but yeah. it's unlikely that it's going to have negative health effects, but you should also be checking your kidney function and your heart function and your liver function every year with your doctor and testing those things anyway. So if for whatever reason, in your particular case, in your body, vitamin D supplementation was having a negative effect, you should be checking those things annually and should catch them before it becomes an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the high level look at vitamin D. There were 12 pages of notes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh yeah. I have a question. That, yeah. Is there like a quality of vitamin D? Is there like, well, don't get it from the, you know, the general store or is, is, is it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think with all supplements, my recommendation is always to go for quality. quality um, I yeah. think it matters even if it doesn't matter for any particular nutrient, if a company is churning out low quality products, you have yeah. to assume that, you know, like maybe, maybe it doesn't matter as much for something like vitamin D, but they're not following the processes required then at that point to ensure that the vitamin D content of the supplement you're taking is what it says it is. Yeah, They're probably not doing a lot of quality control checks. They're probably not looking mm. for cross-contamination. Yeah, So I... I always recommend looking for a good quality, reputable supplement company. So I like companies like Orthomolecular and Zymogen that they sell directly to practitioners or to doctors because they believe that you shouldn't be supplementing anything without working with some sort of healthcare provider to determine what's right for you, which I really like. Uh Those are both very high quality companies that do a lot of extensive in-house and third party testing. So I always trust the supplements that come out and they're always research-based. But there's lots of good companies that you can buy, whether through a full script account or online. But again, the form of vitamin D you want to look through, look for is D3 and look for it with K2. Mm -hmm. Or like, yeah, I just see K2 kind of on bottles as different things like menaquinone seven or something like that. But K1 is the form that affects blood clotting. 
Um, So when you hear about like, if you're taking like anticoagulant medications or um, blood thinning medications, you hear not to take vitamin K, that's actually the K1 form is what most directly affects that blood clotting. K2 is what affects bones and mineral absorption in bones. So K2 should not interfere as much as K1 with blood thinning medications. But if you're taking any sort of medications, you should always talk to your doctor before you supplement because even good supplements, supplements that are good for other people can interfere with medications you're taking. So it's always important to just double check and make sure you're not accidentally canceling out a medication you're taking or increasing the effects of a medication that you're taking um, in which case you would need to lower the dose. So, wow, this is such good. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every, every vitamin and nutrient and herb and yes, supplement can interfere with a medication. You should always check with your doctor and make sure there's no known associations. Okay. Okay. But otherwise for the rest of us, vitamin D supplementation poses no known risks yeah. and only a whole lot of benefits. Yeah. So yeah. I'm in, I'm going to go home and take some more right now and go take my lunch outside in the nudie pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of people with cameras off on zoom meetings yeah. that are yeah, sitting yeah. outside yeah. nude yeah. while they're, <laughs> don't forget your camera. Don't forget to turn your camera. Maybe put a piece of paper over it just in case. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is all good information. Yes. And I really am just like, okay, the superhero vitamin D everyone go get some vitamin D is a superhero. So thanks for listening in renegades and thank you. Go be renegades. Go be renegades. Bye. Thank you for listening to the renegade nutrition podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!